This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse Q&A, we talk with Christian abuse coach Natalie Hoffman of FlyingFreeNow.com about the fear of God, toxic churches, self-advocacy, and shame. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse Q&A, everyone. Today, our guest is going to be Natalie Hoffman from FlyingFreeNow.com. She is a Christian abuse coach, and we had an amazing conversation. But before we get to that, I just want to tell everyone, if you want to be a guest on our Survivor Story podcast, please go to our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there is a button that says Guest Form. Click on that button, fill out the form, and we will go from there. And as well, if you want to help us out as a part of our show, you know we have started to do ads. So we are looking to find out more about you guys. So we're doing a raffle. A, uh, I guess it's uh, something. I guess it's a raffle that will be done or be drawn on September first, two thousand twenty-one. We are giving away ten twenty-five dollar Amazon gift cards. That will be in the show notes. Uh, the link to that. So if you want to help us out and win something in the process, please do help us out and fill out that questionnaire for us. And I'm going to try and be uh, quick. This is our first uh, Q&A, brand new Q&A in, in a long time. So I really want to thank Natalie. She doesn't do that many uh, podcasts, and, and she did ours. She also has a podcast called Flying Free, which you can also find on the internet. We'll have everything that she mentions in the show in the show notes. And this is a really interesting conversation. We really get to the nitty gritty of a, a lot of interesting subjects, and you know, we we deep dive into what it is uh, like to be in uh, Christian abuse, faith based abuse, and you know, I just really want to thank Natalie for being part of the show. And now, without further ado, here is my conversation with Natalie Hoffman. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse Q&A. With me today, I have Natalie Hoffman. How are you? 
I'm doing great. I'm so excited to be here. Well, thank you for being here. And for those of you that do not know Natalie Hoffman, she is a Christian abuse coach who hosts the podcast Flying Free and has a website at flyingfreenow.com where you can get education and support for women of faith in controlling relationships and religious environments. And that is for people of all faiths. Natalie is also the author of Is It Me? Making Sense of Your Confusing Marriage, A Christian Woman's Guide to Hidden Emotional and spiritual abuse, and you can get the first chapter of that for free when you go to her website and sign up to her uh, uh, to her. <laughs> it's, it's just it, you know. I basically, you know it. what it is. You uh, know what it is. Uh, uh, what they, they they if they sign up, they'll get an email every Wednesday with the the latest episode that I have on my podcast. That's really as simple as it is. Yeah. So when you sign up to her uh, to her email list, thank yeah. you so much for helping yeah. me out there. I'm keeping this in. And then you can also get the first chapter of her companion workbook. And in the first chapter of these books, you can be assessed uh, as far as what type of abuse you might be dealing with. So, uh, you know, thank you so much, Natalie, for, for being here. So let's just kind of get started. And, and the first thing I just want to say here is, you know, when I started to do a little bit more research, because a lot of people that listen to my show are people that are going to listen to your show. We have a big Christian uh, fan base on, on mine. And, you know, a big thing with this type of abuse is the cognitive dissonance when I've done kind of my research where, you know, uh, they have this belief system of kind of what is kind of going on that they've been taught. And, you know, they're fighting kind of internally of this isn't right. And, um, and you know, they're, they're kind of locked in this, in this battle with each other. Uh, of knowing that things aren't right, but their whole entire belief system is telling them no. Um, so let's kind of start where, you know, how are Christian women being conditioned, I guess, to people please, to, I guess, to start everything off? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I, I mean, I think we see it in our culture. You know, our culture is still is still somewhat misogynistic in many ways. The when it comes to people who have faith, especially a faith in like the Bible, so the Christian faith, there is a lot of the theology that's taught in Christian churches is also very misogynistic. And so only, only you're adding to it this component of, well, God actually, you know, God created the man first and then he created the woman. So it's actually not, um, it's not just what we believe, it's what God says is true. So they're putting the God stamp on it. And of course, for a woman of faith, that's like, I mean, that's like the ultimate control, right? If she really wants to honor God and obey God and be a good Christian woman, then she's going to need to follow those rules, whatever those rules are that the church sets up. Or that the church, the church will teach a theology and they'll, they'll kind of, they have a specific kind of lens that they read the Bible through and it's a misogynistic lens. It's, it's like anything you could read any kind of book through a, a racist lens or a misogynistic lens, and you could pull out the things that you wanted to pull out to make it mean whatever you want it to mean. And so that's what historically has happened in the church as well. And, um, and that's why women, Christian women are, feel stuck because they feel like, well, I just, uh, and a lot of these women may have grown up in homes where they were taught that 
love is, you know, love is associated with certain kinds of abuse and manipulation. And so then it kind of makes sense to them. It doesn't make sense, but it, it feels normal to them to associate love, quote unquote, with abuse and manipulation. So when we talk about uh, this, the abuse and manipulation, another thing uh, that is what's to me what's obvious is, um, you know, the kernels of truth that are in everything. Um, right. And how, um, I guess, you know, how scripture can be turned around on you. So um, when, when things like, the, like, is that the biggest problem, I guess, that, that happens within the community where, you know, you are, all these truths are in front of you and, and, and there's this little kind of lie in front of you. But yeah. that lie is hinted with the truth from kind of the scripture and how scripture can be um, misinterpreted or manipulated to kind of keep you in line. So how does that uh, a work, I guess, in the sense of, you know, how does an abuser within a, in a faith-based community uh, keep someone in line using that kind of tactic as being like, this is your job, this is your duty to me? Yeah, there. I I have an article on my website that talks. I how I describe it. It's like a big glass of lemonade, and who would say no to a big glass of lemonade on a hot day, right? But what if that glass of lemonade had a tiny little mouse turd in the bottom of it? Now, do you want to drink it? That's what's being served up to women. Is truth that lemonade represents truth, like lots of really good truth, and it sounds good and it feels good and whatever, and it probably is good. But there's a little lie at the bottom of the glass, and that that ruins the whole thing. Nobody wants to drink that. It's not healthy. It's not good. So, yeah, that's what happens. So women will be told, you know, their husband, a lot of women, especially ones who, they'll come and join my, my support group, and they'll say, I, I started to set boundaries with my husband or even my church leaders. And now they're telling me that, you know, they'll like throw Bible verses out at me. Like women should be submissive to their husbands. They'll take, they'll take little Bible verses here and there. They'll twist them out of context. They'll ignore the fact that the Bible, I'm not one to throw out the whole Bible. Okay. There are a lot of people who will, who have gone through this deconstruction process of their faith because of all of these issues. And they've just decided, you know what? I'm just not even going to believe the Bible at all. But I really believe the Bible is, is valuable and that it has amazing truths in it and wisdom in it. But yeah, if you take out, if you look at the whole scope of the Bible and the whole message of the Bible, which is that we have a creator God who loves us, who gives us agency, who wants to be personally involved in our lives, who, you know, if you, I mean, I am starting to use terminology that people can relate to, like, you know, energy fields and things like that. I mean, we're all connected to the universe in this really, it's a spiritual thing. It's also a scientific thing. There's so, so the Bible has all, has to say all of these great things, but then there's little verses that they'll draw out that were, that were written back in time, a time period in history that was very misogynistic, like openly misogynistic. 
people did not value women other than for sex and for raising children and, you know, making the meals. That was what their value was. And everyone just bought into it because that was the way it had always been. So the Bible actually, um, there's some really great books out there now that expose a lot of this, um, this modern day thinking even because people have, you know, in our, in my Christian circles, people, leaders, the patriarchy, we'll just call them the patriarchy have decided that, you know, they've decided that they've got this agenda. We've got to keep women, you know, feminism is really bad. If feminism, the, the women will take over the world if we let feminism, you know, reign. So therefore we must make this huge fight against feminism by, well, their method has been to misinterpret parts of the Bible, twist little words, take little words out. So they're creating these versions of the Bible that are actually very misleading. But there's some really great books that are out right now that are um, exposing a lot of this stuff. And it's like, it's crazy. So these, I love these books because they don't throw out the Bible. They're like, the Bible is great. It's these people that have taken the Bible and used it for ill purposes. Um, I just want to throw out a couple of them because if you, your audience is Christian and they do want to like explore this further, because we should probably move on to other topics. But um, one is called The Making of Biblical Womanhood, How the Subjugation of Women Became Gospel Truth. And that book is a brand new book this year. It's by Beth Allison Barr, and I highly recommend that book if you are a female or even if you're a male and you just want to learn more about how this works. And then um, another really good book that's out this year is called Jesus and John Wayne, How White Evangelicals Corrupted a Faith and Fractured a Nation. Which again, if you are, if you can see narcissism in our, in, I'm in America, but there's a lot of narcissism, I guess, all over the world, but certainly in, in America and you don't like it, or if you're seeing patterns of, you know, a lot of you, I think most of your listeners have experienced narcissistic abuse Mm -hmm. to one degree or another, right? That's why they're listening to your podcast. Yeah. So they can probably see some of those patterns of abuse happening on even on a government level or at their place of employment or at their religious um, place, a synagogue or church or mosque. And when, and when we start, we start seeing these patterns, it's good to just educate ourselves on that. This is not just an individual thing that you're experiencing in, in your individual relationship, but this is a phenomenon in our world. And the more people that start are recognize it and see it, then the next step is to figure out what do we do about it, those of us who have been victims of this kind of abuse. And for the victims of this type of abuse in your community, before they go see you, most likely they have gone to their church, I would assume, yes. first to kind yes. of figure out, you know, Hey, there's something going on here. I need counseling from you. And they then run into a church that is uh, becomes part of the abuse. Um, smear campaigns might be run against you. Uh, how do you uh, figure out, you know, what is a toxic church? How do you recognize it, uh, I guess, beforehand, during the process? And as far as uh, 
uh, pastors go or, or, or clergy of, of a church, you know, they obviously don't have proper training to deal with something like this. So are there actually good people who are in these positions and just don't have the training to deal with it? Because not everyone intentionally, I think, is 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 doing it on purpose, you know. But right. there, there are some that might. But are there some that are good people, just not educated enough? Yeah, I mean, I like to think that most people are good. You know, most people have good hearts and want to do what's right. But the problem is that. And by the way, I should probably clarify for your audience too that my work is with women. So I don't, so even though, I mean, I'll be talking about this in terms of like the female victim, but I do want to acknowledge that I know that men are victims as well. And we have had, you know, some male victims that have approached me and said, you know, is there anything else out there for those of us? I do know, I know personally some male victims and my heart goes out to them too, but I do, my work is only with females. So, um, yeah, women will a Christian woman or a woman of faith will typically go to her faith community to ask for help. That's the community that she's invested her life in, and if she's a a very religious woman, those are her friends, that's her support system. So of course she's going to go to them and ask for help. And at first she might go and just say, "I'm really having some problems in my marriage and I don't know what to do about it." And the advice that she'll usually get then, it, it depends on the church. But if that church has an underlying theology of like that, there are specific roles of men and women, that women should be um, underneath the man, that the man is the leader, that he makes all the decisions, that her job is to stay home and raise the babies and give him good sex at a you know specific intervals of time and whatever. If that is their teaching, then of course, they're going to interpret her rising up and saying there's problems. They're going to interpret that past. They could interpret it as rebellion. Like, well, are you doing everything that you should be doing as a wife? Because if you were and your husband is satisfied, then maybe he wouldn't be so mean to you. Or maybe, you know, and they'll usually they'll address the guy, you know, don't be so mean to your wife. I'm being kind of, you know, I'm speaking in simple terms here, but don't be mean to your wife. Be nice to your wife. That's what a Christian man would do. But then they would turn to the wife and say, and just make sure that you're doing everything you can to inspire kindness in your husband. You know, cause if you're, if you're arguing with him or if you're not letting him be the man or you're not making him feel like a man, then he's going to get annoyed and then he might hurt you. So you better just, you know, shape up. And so then she walks away. Her first encounter, that's kind of how it would go. And she'd walk away and try harder. But after a few decades of that and nothing changes, and in fact, what that does for the abuser is that it empowers them and emboldens them because they see nobody gets this. Nobody's going to do anything about it. And of course, as you know, if, if you're married, marriage is, is two people getting together and learning how to live with each other. So there's going to be some rough edges, of course, that you, but in a normal marriage, there's not abuse. One partner's not trying to control the other or make the other person do everything that they want them to do. There's freedom to be who you are. But in an abusive marriage, and especially with, if you've got an, if you're married to a narcissist, then everything has to, the narcissist's universe reigns there. You know, I talk about people having a universe between their ears. That's your brain. Your brain is like a separate universe. The narcissist really does believe that his universe 
is the universe. And you are just like a little Lego character in his universe. So when you're not doing, you know how children play Legos and they have their Legos. If you're a parent and you've ever sat down with your kids and you're trying to play Legos with them, with the little Lego characters, and you have your Lego character say something that your child is like, no, that's not what they said. They said this. Okay. That's what it's like with a narcissist. The narcissist, you're a Lego character. And if you say something or show up in a way that's not the way that you're supposed to show up because you're supposed to do what he wants you to do, you belong to him, then he's going to lash out at you, control you, abuse you, put you, put you back in your place. And people aren't Lego characters. We are real flesh and blood people and we have, we all have our own universe and we should honor the universes of one another and not expect one another to just come into our universe and be our little Lego character, our little Barbie doll or whatever it is that we want to play with. Um, I have no idea where I was going with this, but I hope that was helpful. (laughs) (laughs) I do that sometimes, I'm afraid. No worries. Uh, so, <laughs> so, you know, with listening to, you know, what you were saying, I guess the uh, the biggest thing in what you said was you, you, you go to the church, the church then says, hey, this person is being, you know, mean. We're going to go talk to them. So we know that this person's being mean, but then they're going to tell me on the flip side here that I have to be better. Exactly. And exactly. So... You've been told in one way, hey, something's going to happen, but at the same time, I have to also be better, and now I'm being better, so these things that are not supposed to happen don't happen. The circle and cycle of abuse here continues and and will continue on, Um, and so when it comes to, I guess, the things that they might actually uh, attack besides being like a dutiful wife or, or saying like, what isn't dutiful? I don't know if that makes sense, but, um, when it comes to things like sinning and, and what is, uh, a sin, um, you know, a a victim of abuse, you know, a question that we have here is, uh, you know, I am a victim of abuse. Why do I feel guilty as if I've been the one that has been sinning? Like, have I been sinning? And that gets, I guess, locked into their head that they are a sinner, um, just based upon, you know, reading. And, you know, uh, you know, Jesus died for our sins. You know, I, I'm a sinner. But at the same time, doesn't Jesus love everybody? Um, right. Doesn't Jesus still love me? So how do how, how do you try and help someone who's going through that specific cycle? Because when you're at that kind of of level of you know thinking, Jesus, it, it, when all is said and done, you know my faith in God, my faith in, in in Jesus, whatever faith you're in, trumps everything. So you have this one belief of this person who. Um, truly loves me, this entity that really is, you know, keeping me going in a, in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And we have a survivor story episode with Lexi where, you know, she grew up in this household, um, 11 kids. She was the scapegoat of this family. 
and you know after she eventually fled uh, that family, I said, "How did you not end up in a puddle of like your own tears and like get involved with the, the next terrible person?" And she goes, "Because God, because I believed in Jesus and I knew Jesus believed in me." And I was like, "Well, I was like that. You know, I'm not the most religious guy." And I was like, "Well, that's pretty amazing." You know, it's pretty amazing that that belief. So, you know, I've gone off on a little tangent here, but, you know, you have this really strong, strong belief, maybe your number one belief of in life. And then you have this whole other kind of thing going on with the sinning. So how do you help people wrap their brain around that? Yeah, there's a lot here. There's two parts to this I want to talk about. One is the programming. So... We are, as humans, we are given this brain that starts to develop when we're in our mom's womb, and it, the the brain starts to get, it builds a program based on your experiences, the things you hear, all of your sense, sensory intake, the things you experience in your family, um, and it, it takes all of that in, and your your program runs in the background of your life. And 95% of what we think, all the thoughts in our head, are actually non-conscious. We're not really aware of them. But all of those thoughts are all running based on this program that we have. So if you've been programmed or if you've grew up in a religious home and you've been programmed to believe the idea of sin and what's sin, that really depends on what the home you grew up in. I mean, it's so subjective. Some people will say that it's a, you know, that it's a sin to wear a skirt that's above your knees. Other people would say, oh, no, 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 that's not a sin. But if it's, you know, if the skirt is on your thigh, then it's a sin. Then it crosses over. Like everyone has their different lines that they draw on what they say. This is a sin, but then this part isn't a sin. It's so subjective. That's why there's literally thousands and thousands of different denominations within even just Christianity even in just this country. And then if you go over to other countries, there's even other denominations of Christianity. So we have to understand that. So your programming, what you believe is a sin is programmed into you. And you need to rate that your best, your, your superpower is going to be bringing all of that to the surface, like stirring up the pond and bringing it all to the surface so that you can start to examine it objectively and say, well, that's fascinating the reason that I feel guilty about this is because I'm thinking the thought and then figure out what the thought is that you're thinking on a subconscious level. Bring it up to your conscious level. See, this is the work that I do with, with the women in my program. You bring it to a conscious level and then you ask yourself questions about that thought. Like, could I be wrong? What if I'm wrong about that? And you start to rewire your programming. It's literally, it's, it's totally scientific because your brain has these specific synapses that go from one place to another. You want to actually interrupt some of those synapses and then rewire them in a different direction. And then that creates, you're rewiring your brain. It actually creates a different life for you then. Okay, so there's that programming part. Then as far as the, the God part and believing in Jesus and how Jesus can help you, um, how can Jesus help you get out of abuse when that same Jesus according to some people is teaching that it's that you're actually bringing glory to God by, by submitting and suffering, suffer for the sake of Jesus, lay down your life, pick up your cross, do all of these things. Um, And I believe that it's because many 
churches and theologies and we, that they actually teach a God that is abusive. The God himself is abusive. I'm not saying that's not the God I believe in. And that's not the God. I, I wouldn't have ever said my God is abusive. I would never have said that before until I started doing a lot of this work and realized, oh my word, the God I believed in was totally abusive. I mean, this is, yeah, go ahead. Uh, sorry, I'm not used to people being able to see me. So I, <laughs> I went oh. to the mic and, <laughs> and you're like, oh, go ahead. So, you know, there's that old, uh, you know, saying, which is, I'm going to put the fear of God in you. So, yeah. like, so how, how do you, how do you feel about that saying? And where did that come from? Yeah. Well, that's exact. That illustrates my point. Exactly. Like if you have to be afraid of somebody, in fact, the Bible says perfect love casts out fear. So if you are afraid of your God, then that is not the true God. The creator God, you don't have to be afraid of the creator God because he's a God of love. The Bible says he is love. He is the essence of love. So anything that strikes fear inside of you, like I'm afraid that God's going to send my children to hell to burn forever and ever. I'm afraid that if I don't, that if I get divorced, that I'm going to go to hell and burn forever and ever. All of those ideas there. And, and yes, I know some of you guys are listening and you're like, well, of course there's a heaven and a hell. I'm just saying, do, do some reading and do some research and figure, you know, you got it. There's so many Christian solid biblical scholars that would that ha, will, can make a case in the Bible for the fact that God isn't going to burn everybody in hell. Okay, now <clears throat> I'm getting into like some weeds here, and I don't really necessarily want to do that. I might be half of your audience is like, "Oh my word, I'm turning this podcast off right now, and I'm never going to listen again." <laughs> oh yeah, so I mean that that hell is a construct that that that. I, I, I don't even, there's so many, you, you Google it. Okay. There's some great books out there that, that are cr- written from a Christian perspective. In fact, I have one I can recommend right now. It'll cha- rock your world and change your life. It's called love wins by Rob Bell. Okay. And he would be considered a heretic by my, the, the church that excommunicated me. I divorced my husband and I was excommunicated from my church. It was, I'll drop some names. It was John Piper's church. Um, John, for those of you who are, <clears throat> some of you might run in those circles. He's a kind of a big wig in the reformed world of Christianity. And he's also, he is one of the men who with Wayne Grudem came up with the biblical, the um, council for biblical manhood and womanhood. So he's a firm believer in roles and has totally reacted against feminism by really some supporting and promoting um, really abuse of women. And he would never say that, but he has said, you know, if a woman gets smacked, it's on the internet. You can find it. If a woman gets smacked by her husband, she, that's her opportunity to, you know, bring glory to God through her suffering. I'm sorry, but that, and so then we wonder why we wonder why the God that these people worship is so abusive. They've made a God in their own image. They believe that power and control is important because if we let people have too much freedom or think what they want to think, they'll get, you know, then, oh my goodness, the whole world might burn in hell. They're afraid of their God. So they feel like they have, cause their God is power and control. So then they become in turn become fear-based shame-based and they power and control over other people. And then you trickle that down to the people in the sitting in the pews 
And now you've got the men going, yeah, I'm going to power. I'm afraid too. And I'm full of shame. So I'm going to power and control over my wife. And then we've got these wives sitting in the pews going, yeah, I'm afraid and full of shame too. So now I'm going to power and control over my children and over my friends. And then we've got kids growing up and wanting to throw out the whole thing. Like, why would they want, why would kids grow up and want to worship a God like that? That's disgusting. So I don't worship that kind of a God anymore. And a lot of Christians are getting away from that kind of a God, but you kind of have to break free from the whole abuse thing to, in order to see things from a different perspective. So for someone who is still uh, a child, teenager, who's now kind of questioning things, and then I assume that there are some instances where you have two Christians, but they might come from uh, different types of uh, denominations. And I guess maybe when they get married, one person might go into their church instead of staying at the church that they're at uh, type uh, type uh, relationships. So when it comes to that, how does someone uh, identify that the church that they are about to enter or that they are in at that moment is uh, a shame-based or fear-based church? What is the language, I guess, that you're looking for? And then also on top of that, for people that are really knee-deep in it, right now and 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 thinking that maybe the church has their side uh or is you know trying to help how do they recognize that a smear campaign within the church is going on against you yeah <clears throat> well the for the first question i would i would look around at the who is on staff at that church and what positions they hold that will tell you a lot about a church if the staff of the church and the the leaders of the church are all white men, probably not a safe church. If you've got a variety of genders and colors and that kind of thing, then you've got, then you probably got a safe, if you, that, an inclusive church is going to be much safer for obvious reasons, right? They're going to be there. They are going to be more about, we love people, not, we don't have an agenda other than just love. Which was, if you look in the Gospels, that was Jesus' agenda. He did not discriminate. He didn't, um, he didn't control. He didn't tell people, you need to do this and you need to do that. He invited people, but he always let people make their own choices. The only people that Jesus had scathing hard words for were the religious leaders. He said a lot of, of really nasty things about them. Because they were, they re- literally were blaspheming God. They were accusing him of being a blasphemer, but because he was saying he was God, but they were blaspheming God by saying, we represent God and we're going to put all of these heavy burdens on all of you and, and shame all of you and put the fear of God in all of you. That does not honor a God of love who created us and loves us and created us to be free. It doesn't honor it does not honor that God. So Jesus said, if, if you believe Jesus was God, I believe he was. Jesus, if Jesus was God and he was seeing the Pharisees treating people like that, then no wonder he said those hard things to them. He didn't ever say hard things to prostitutes, never said hard things to people in the bars. The Bible said he was hanging out with them, hanging out with the people, drinking in the bars with them. Okay? So... 
that if that if, if Jesus is God and that's God, then I, I'm all in on that God. And then that means that I don't have to live my life afraid and full of shame. I can live. I can make mistakes. I can divorce my ex-husband and know that God has my back. The question is, do I have my back? I say that to women. You believe God has your back and you believe God loves you. What about you? Do you have your own back? Do you love you? Because God wants you. He gave you one person to be responsible for in your life and one person only. And that's you. you. He gave you your life to steward. Do you have your own back? The best way that you can honor God is by living in the fullness of the amazing person that God created you to be. And when you are in close proximity with a narcissist, or the Bible calls a narcissist a fool. If you read Proverbs, the book of Proverbs has lots of wise little sayings. There's a lot of wise little sayings that talk about fools. The fool is the Bible's language for narcissist. So what you could so read the pro, go to Proverbs even if you've never read the Bible you want to have fun go to Proverbs read the book of Proverbs and everywhere where it says fool put in narcissist and all of a sudden you'll kind of like the Bible <laughs> <laughs> and then the, you know the other thing I was going to say too is um, another great book I recommend is it's called Faith After Doubt by Brian McLaren. And that book is amazing. It helps you. It it has helped me to, cause I went through a period of extreme doubt, like wondering what in the world have I just been in the twilight zone my whole life, believing lies my entire life. And how do I, because I had really, I had, and still have a deep connection with the creator. And I wasn't, I couldn't explain that by throwing my faith out. I was like, I'm, throwing out some really deep experiences I've had in my life. And I don't, I can't do that. Um, plus when I considered my life without faith, I just basically wanted to shoot myself in the head. And I thought that probably isn't a good outcome. So how do I, you know, how do I want the results of my life to be where I can show up in my life full of love for people and full of like being on fire and motivated to change my world in whatever way that I can For me, it had to start with the thought, there is a God, he is loving, and he is powerful. For me, that, and I I have a podcast episode where I actually go into this in great detail, but I can't remember the number of it. Um, But you could maybe, if you wanted to put it in your show notes, I could give you the number of of that podcast episode. I'll do that. Um, That would be a good one, too, maybe to introduce people to my podcast if they want to know, like... Cause it kind of intersects between the abuse and the faith issue, but, um, faith after doubt by Brian McLaren's great. If you're really struggling with, you had a faith and now you're like, I really have now. I just, all I've been left with is a bunch of doubt. Read that book. He'll walk you through it and you will feel like you fell into a feather bed by the time you're done reading that book. Um, and I can't remember if I answered the question. Uh, I or guess not. the last part would have been about uh, recognizing smear campaigns, and I guess um, how to kind of deal with them because I guess you know a smear campaign within that community where you have nowhere to turn. Yeah, you know, you know it, that might be a moment where okay, I'm in this relationship for two years, let's say, and I've gone now to for help, and the, here's a moment where. I can break out for good 
and this whole entire smear campaign might put me back in this relationship for another 10 years. Yeah. So, cause it's just, that's like the ultimate defense. Um, and it's a wall, uh, to say that I'm not, you're not leaving here. So how does someone recognize that campaign and figure out that that's what's actually going on with them right now to be like, okay, those, there's this wall in front of me. I need to somehow jump over it. I or like, how do I get around this? Because it's, you know, th- they've pulled out the big guns here. Yeah. I mean, okay. You, you'll definitely recognize the smear campaign because it will not feel good. But if your church is the kind of church that believes that people are either in or out, they're either right or wrong. Things are either black or white. And Brian McLaren talks about this in his book. Then what you're being threatened with is you're in as long as you do what we tell you to do and buy into everything that we want you to buy into. You're out if you don't. Now, that's ve- that can be very scary and threatening to someone who needs that support and is looking for that support. But I would challenge them to say that you were looking for love from your partner, right? And you didn't get it from them. Now you're looking for love from your church and you're obviously not going to get it from them. So you're going to have to, you ha- one of the things I teach the women in my groups is to be self-differentiated. You're going, your challenge is going to be to get to know yourself and to have your own back. We, I believe that God, the creator wants us to be self-different, like a healthy cell with a healthy, strong cell membrane but that also has the ability to be connected to other people because we were wired for connection too, right? We weren't wired to be islands living by ourselves. So your challenge is going to be to, you're going to do a whole bunch of deconstruction work, not only on your, on your faith and your relationship with your partner, but also you're going to, your roots, your, your family of origin, what you've been programmed with and what you believe about yourself. Most people don't really like themselves very much. Deep down inside, they don't think they're worthy and they're full of shame. So when other people are saying, yeah, you know what? You really are not worthy unless you do what we tell you to do. Then they're going to, their programming is going to loop, is going to go, yep, that's right. That matches with my programming. And I want people to love me and I want people to think that I'm worthy. So they're going to they'll be more apt to go back into that situation in order to feel better. And what I'm saying is I have some articles on my website that talk about how it is hell to get out. It's hell to go back, but it's a different hell to get out. It's much more difficult to get out because you have to go through a hotter hell. I talk about it like a ladder with every rung of the ladder is burning hot. It's going to sear blisters into your hands and feet. But you have to climb that ladder. There's each step of that ladder. You have to climb it to get out. And if you're willing to make that hell is hot, hot as hell journey, you will eventually get out. And you, it's like a phoenix rising from the flames. You will be able to live your badass life once you get out of not not just that relationship with that partner, but that entire abusive community. And again, I know you mentioned, you know, are all these people in these churches uh, bad? And I never really addressed that, but they're not bad. They just, they're all just programmed with the same things, right? So they're just doing what their programming is telling them. They're also feeling a lot of shame and fear. And they're like, oh my gosh, if I agree with this person, 
who all of my leaders are saying is a bad egg or a black sheep, then maybe they'll kick me out too. They're not articulating this necessarily in their thoughts, but their programming underneath is definitely throwing up red flags and be careful and don't go there and don't associate with that person and got, you know, and so they will then distance themselves from you in order to protect themselves. You see this in movies, you see this all, I mean, this is just like a thing that happens. So if you are going to get away from abuse and break free, you're going to have to do it. Um, You're going to have to do it on your own, but thankfully there are podcasts like this there are support groups. There are, there's a much more of a growing awareness of this. So really what I like to think of is it's like getting away from a really small segment of society and realizing there is a great big world out there. And, and it's, and many people have their arms open wide to love you and to accept you and receive you. And of course God does too. I believe the real God so I guess this comes to uh, possibly our, our last question, which is, you know, how do uh, women of faith advocate for themselves and take care of themselves? And, you know, leaving is scary. You know, you are about to possibly leave everything. You're going to be shunned. You um, were yourself were excommunicated. So what are, I guess, the resources besides podcasts as far as, as shelters uh, is, is going to or finding maybe a, another church where you, you go online and you're like, oh, this is an, an inclusionary church. Maybe I go there right away and kind of be taken care of. But then you also have people who might be in small towns. There's only one church. Um, right. So, so how did, how did those people maneuver around those things and find their way out of it once they've made their decision? Yeah. I mean, there are, thankfully there are a lot of online churches now, especially with COVID. I mean, that was like the hidden bless. One of the hidden blessings of COVID is that a lot of churches actually went online and created amazing online communities that are really embrace. And then you can get into small groups in those churches and you can do all that if you want to. Some people like myself, I've left church altogether. I don't go to an organized church anymore and I'm really comfortable with my decision. Um, I, I feel like I meet with, I interact with Christians every single day. I interact with God every single day. And for me, that is very fulfilling and I love it. Um, going into churches for some women is going to be triggering. It's going to actually trigger trauma, trauma response in them. And they, a lot of women have PTSD around church. And I just want to encourage you. You don't have to go to, no, there's nothing in the Bible. Literally nothing in the Bible that says you have to go to church the way church is set up today. So, um, but, you know, but there are lots of man-made ideas that you need to if you want to, you know, be a good Christian. So there's that. Um, Trying to think. You're really good at keeping me on track because I'm really good at going off on rabbit trails. (laughs) Remind me again, because that question had a lot of different components. I had five billion questions in that question. So... (laughs) Um, I guess we were just talking about, you know, Christian women advocating for themselves, taking care of themselves and, you know, uh, they've made the decision to leave, you know, and it being scary, like how do they kind of move forward and, you know, do those last kind of steps? Yeah. I mean, I am going to do a shameless plug for my program because my program is fabulous and it does, I mean, women will tell me all the time, you saved my life. 
So my program for women of faith who are in an, a destructive relationship will systematically take you through 12 courses that will rewire your thinking. And then I do weekly coaching in there. So you can come on and you can get coaching or you can listen to other women of faith, get coaching. And we do a lot of brain rewiring there. We have a monthly Q&A. We have a private locked gated forum. You can go and interact with hundreds of Christian women on there who are dealing with the same things. Um, and there's a lot more to the program too. There's a private, there's a private podcast that's where you can get all of your materials on that podcast. Um, so I recommend that we also bring in experts to give talks every month. And you also get to hear, we call them butterfly stories, basically stories of women who have gotten out. So that's my program for women of faith who are still in their relationships. And then I, and, and in that program, the main goal for that I want these women to experience in their lives is to learn how to take do exactly what you said, learn, get to know themselves, learn how to take care of themselves and then drop into love and uh, safety and freedom for themselves in their own heads. That's where it starts. It has to start in your own brain before you can actually make these things a reality in your, the circumstances of your life. Right. And then my other program is for divorced Christian women who, um, or divorced women of faith, I should say, who are already divorced, they're out of their relationship, and then they're trying to rebuild their lives. And we go in some different directions with them. It's a little more hardcore. I feel like my first group, my first program, it's called Flying Free, um, is kind of like the ICU, the intensive care unit for women. We're really, really careful and gentle with you in there. Then we get into flying higher, and then it's like, I'm going to kick your butt a little bit here. But you know what? It's for your good, and we are going to like do amazing things with our lives now, now that we're out. So if you want more information about those groups, you can go to j- just joinflyingfree.com or joinflyinghire.com. And I guess, you know, I guess a big distinction here when it comes to advocating and taking care of themselves and rewiring their brain would be their whole life they've been taught what to think. And yes. now they're given the world where you can think for yourself for your first yes. time. And exactly. So when you had that happen to you, I'm going to get a little bit. One person was like, was your mind blown in a way? Like, did it just like pop off and you had this adjustment period where, you know, you're, it's like you were, it's like I've t- this is the first time I'm tasting, you know, this in this type of environment. Like, did things taste different and smell different for you? They did. I really, <clears throat> I, I had to do a ton of deprogramming because I was really immersed, like from the time I was a small child. Excuse me. <clears throat> and um, it did. It opened up a whole new world for me. At first, I really struggled with feeling like I was being rebellious, you know, because you, I've been taught for so long that submission and agreement and um, being a nice Christian girl, that that was what me, being a Christian was and that that's what made God happy. And now I was finding out actually some, <clears throat> what, what, what I, I started to feel, you know how in, in the chariots of fire, Eric Little says, when I run, I feel God's pleasure. Mm-hmm. 
now I was starting to feel God's pleasure in my rebellion. And I was like, wait, what? He takes pleasure. In, like, God, you're really taking pleasure in my rebellion? And he's like, yeah, because you're rebelling against everything that goes against everything that goes against who I am and what I'm about. So that's not rebelling. You're rebelling against that. You're not rebelling against me. You're actually seeing me for the first time. Let's do a, let's do our relationship differently than how we, how we've done it in the past, how, what you've learned in the past served you and it's brought you to where you are. And it's part of my journey for you. But now we're going to step into a different journey where it's you and me and let's see what happens next. And yeah, it was so exciting and so free. So I would describe my first life, like who I was before as being shame and fear driven. And my life now is love and hope driven and no, and freedom driven because I, I am free now to make mistakes and mistakes. Like I tell my women, Oh, you made a mistake. Awesome. Think of all the things that you're going to learn from that mistake. Now, I mean, that's how we learn, right? We have to make mistakes. God's okay with mistakes. And maybe what if it wasn't a mistake? What if it was exactly what you were supposed to do? What if that was exactly what I'm always telling people question everything. What if you're right? What if you're wrong? Let's think about it. Let's ask different questions instead of trying to find all the answers. Let's just ask more questions and like have paradigm shifts. Just be curious about everything. Exactly. Exactly. It's a much more fun way to live too. And you are the first person to uh, mention chariots of fire. In, in our podcast, that the people who listen to the other podcasts know I'm a big movie fan. And oh. um, so Chariots of Fire, a lost movie, and some of the most iconic music in, I think, movie history as well that people yes. forget that it, that it might exist. It's been so long. Um, yes. So, so thank you for that. And, you know, we're, gonna, we're about to wrap up the show. So I guess before we leave, is there, uh, you know, big uh, words of wisdom or advice that you want people to uh, know. And one last time, uh, tell us again, like where we can reach you and, and everything uh, with that. Um, oh my gosh. That's such a heavy, like what is the one big wisdom thing you can give us? I do it to everyone. Um, <laughs> um, you know, I mean, I would say, I don't know where everyone stands in their belief of God, and it doesn't really matter where you stand in your belief of God. I believe that in this big, huge multiverse that's out there that we have no concept of, that that creator, that that intelligent being out there, and I don't know what it consists of, that that be, the the most amazing thing is not that he's out there and exists or he or she or whatever it is, but the most amazing thing is that I believe that, and the thing that will change your life is that that being is interested in you. He's interested in you. You are special to him. You might just be like a speck of dust floating in the universe and you are special to him and you matter. And that, that, Faith in that one thing alone can change your life. You don't have to have faith in beliefs 
or in rules and regulations. If you just have faith in that one thing, I, I believe that can change your life. And then, um, yeah, my, my web, my public website is flyingfreenow.com. Everything that I have is on that website. If you just go over there and dig around, you'll find my podcast. You'll find a bunch of articles. Um, you'll find the free, the, I've got a couple of free offers on there. Um, just go over there and explore. Well, Natalie Hoffman of flyingfreenow.com and the flying free podcast. Thank you so much for being here. And, you know, I do a lot of shows, uh, different types of shows. And, uh, you know, the one thing I always say to people at the end of it is I know that you today are at least going to help one person change their life. And I know today you did more than that. And so I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for being here and sharing all of your knowledge. And I hope uh, people of the Christian community, the faith-based community, go and check out all of your stuff. I know you will help them. They've helped a lot of people within our own uh, community already. So a big thank you for being here with me today. I want to thank you for having me. And I want to wish all of your listeners fly free. And for Natalie and myself, I hope everyone else has a good night.